what business structure should I use for my startup? It's probably the most common startup legal question that gets asked. What are your choices? How do you decide what's right for your particular business? It's coming up next on Business Confidential Now, that and more. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. In today's program, I'm going to talk about business structures and do my best to make those abstract concepts more concrete so that you have a better idea of how they work, their individual strengths and weaknesses. Some of you may know me as the no-nonsense lawyer, and some of you don't know me at all. Yes, I am a lawyer, and I practiced for more than 30 years. But let me make clear that this episode is not attorney advertising, since I'm no longer practicing law, even though today I'm still licensed. These days, I prefer to draw on my deep business background and interview the fabulous guests you hear on Business Confidential now. I also provide executive education and leadership development to executives, managers, and entrepreneurs such as you in the area of legal literacy and risk management through my consulting, training, and coaching work at Business MO LLC and the Legal Leverage Academy, its education division. And that's what getting clarity about legal business structure is all about. It's about education so that you can be a more informed consumer of legal services. In today's program, yes, we're going to talk about business structures. I am going to bust some myths and explore the strengths and weaknesses of the different structures. I've also got a chart for you that you can download on the episode page here at businessconfidentialradio.com that provides a shorthand summary of what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to do. What I won't do is be giving you legal advice or tax advice. What? That's right. Today's discussion is designed to provide you with information so that you can save time when you meet with your lawyer or your tax advisor to discuss your specific business idea and make a decision that's right for you. Because you see, taking your circumstances, preferences, and risk tolerance into account is where your lawyer's and tax advisor's advice comes in. They're trained professionals that can see things you might otherwise miss without their advice. And because they're trained professionals, their time is valuable and expensive, which is why if you're prepared when you meet with them and have a better understanding up front of what these business structures are and zero in on the few that are a real possibility for you, they won't be spending their time teaching you and can instead focus on helping you make the best decision for your specific business needs. And that saves you money. Okay, so then to make the best use of our time together, I really recommend you print out the summary chart that you can find on the episode page on businessconfidentialradio.com. 
If you're listening on demand, you can find the episode page as part of Season 2, Episode 34. It's called How to Pick the Best Business Structure to Achieve Your Startup Dream. Again, that's Season 2, Episode 34, and the website is businessconfidentialradio.com. So come on over to businessconfidentialradio.com and print out that summary chart. Across the top, you'll see each of the four major business structures, and on the left-hand side in the first column, a number of factors to consider. These are the most common factors that influence the selection of a business structure, and we're going to talk about them in general terms and also use it as a process of elimination. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the confusing things about the stuff you can find on the internet concerning business structures is that there's not much guidance on how to narrow down your choices because there could be lots of reasons why you start a business and different priorities that can impact your decision. That's also why it's important to zero in on the factors most important to you instead of picking the sexiest business structure because you read about it on the internet. Focus on those factors first as we talk about them. Circle the ones that are important to you, that you value, and there's probably more than one structure to support that value. And that's where you need to continue the conversation with your lawyer or tax advisor because there could be nuances or things specific to your state that may impact your decision but are too detailed for a show like this. All right, let's get started. You might be starting a business for a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe you're creating a subsidiary of an existing business. Maybe you've parted ways with a former business partner and you're rolling your share of the pie into a new venture. Maybe you've bought assets from an existing business, want to turn it into something new, improve, bigger, better. Or maybe you're starting a business from scratch. You've got startup fever. You've got a hot idea for a new product or service that you want to introduce into the market and scale into a big company. Or maybe you've been downsized or right-sized or you find your current job prospects unappealing or are simply feeling adventuresome and want to blaze some new trails on your own and be self-employed. That's cool too. Lots of reasons, different underlying objectives that can influence the structure that's ultimately best to support your business dream. First, the big picture. There's only four basic structures. That's it, only four. A proprietorship, a partnership, a company, and a corporation. Now, some of these come in different flavors. And if you look at the chart, you'll see that there's three types of partnerships. A general partnership, a limited partnership, and a limited liability partnership. We'll talk more about how they work and in what situations they're commonly used. Also on the chart, you'll see four types of corporations under the big heading corporations. There's the C-Corp, the S Corp, the Benefit Corp, and Nonprofit Corporations, which also come in two flavors. The Public Benefit Corporation, which is the charities that you're familiar with, and also the Mutual Benefit Corporation, which are member groups like trade associations, foundations, that type of thing. Each of these variations addresses slightly different needs, and we're going to talk about them. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Besides partnerships and corporations, there's also the proprietorship and the limited liability company, also known as the LLC, each in a class by themselves. Now, 
In evaluating business structures, it helps to know that it's nothing more than a legal framework for how a business is governed, a structure that determines how it's controlled, how it's managed. So let's say you're interested in going into business for yourself. What's the fastest, easiest, cheapest way to do that? It's a proprietorship. You have 100% management control and responsibility because you're it. You're the business. Usually there's no separate registration requirement unless you're operating under a name that's different than your own, in which case you file a DBA or a doing business as registration locally. It's not a big deal. And taxes, well, income, profit, and loss, that flows directly through on your personal tax return. Record keeping is minimal, and it's always a good idea to keep good accounting records. And the ability to finance, well, that's limited to your own personal credit worthiness because you are the business. But as a practical matter, most people who are self-employed and other small businesses typically self-finance through savings, prior investments, gifts, credit card debt, and loans from family and friends that are usually on better terms than you'd get at a bank. <laughs> now, if you sell your business, it's an asset sale because in a proprietorship, there is no stock. Wow, it's fast, cheap, easy. Why doesn't everybody do this? Why? Because the cheapest is not always the least expensive. You see, one myth about business structures and picking one is that it's only a tax thing. That's not true, and a proprietorship is a prime example of that. The reason many business owners don't choose a proprietorship is because a proprietor is 100% personally responsible for the debt and liability of the business. That means if anything goes wrong in the business, you get sued, get stuck with a judgment, or you've got a slow season, cash flows tight, you default on a loan payment, or fail to deposit employment taxes, the debtors can come after your personal assets, your personal bank accounts, cars, boats, even your house in most states. You can still be on the hook for a period of time even after you sell your business for events and transactions that happened while you owned it because you're only transferring assets. On the other hand, most other business structures, if they're properly set up, maintained and capitalized, give you a personal liability shield. If you have assets, that's worth something to you. Okay, so then who uses a proprietorship? Very often, it's contractors, and they can control their risk exposure through contracts. I've also seen convenience store owners do it, and others probably because they just didn't know any better. But coming back to the tax thing, if it was only always about taxes, everybody would want to have the best tax breaks available. Now, what organization is that? What type of structure? Well, that, that would be the nonprofit corporations. They're exempt from paying sales and property taxes and federal income taxes. Sounds pretty good, right? Sign me up. How do I get one of those, right? Well, not so fast. Those kind of tax breaks don't come without strings attached. You have to meet certain requirements to be eligible. Nonprofits are either public benefit corporations, like charities, or mutual benefit corporations, like member groups, trade associations. And the term nonprofit doesn't mean they're not supposed to make money or run at a loss. No, they can make a profit, and they need to, <laughs> but 
What separates them from other corporations and the reason they get such a gigantic tax break is because they're allowed to plow profits back into the organization to further the benefit of society. If a for-profit corporation did it, they could be looking down the barrel of a shareholder's suit because for-profit corporations by law are supposed to build shareholder value and a return on investment for their stockholders. So a true nonprofit has no shareholders. That means if building equity is one of your business goals, a nonprofit world is probably not for you. Cross that off your list. If your startup, however, has an altruistic purpose and you still want to create equity, there's a new structure, but it's only available in a few states, and it's called the Benefit Corporation. Now, as the name suggests, it protects you from shareholder suits because its legal structure allows you to plow profits back into the company. It's a hybrid between a nonprofit and a for-profit, okay? It's the best of both worlds, but, and you knew there was a but. The catch is that a benefit corporation has transparency requirements. That means you have to publish certain financial information to the world. Now, you may or may not be comfortable with that. A benefit corporation is also taxed as a corporation. It doesn't get those nonprofit tax breaks. So if public benefit is a high priority item for you, explore that possibility with your accountant and lawyer. You might also ask about a B Corp certification. What's that? Well, it's not a separate entity like a benefit corp. It's a certification. It's an add-on. Now, what's bad is that the names are confusingly similar. A benefit corporation is a true legal structure, but it's only available in a handful of states right now. However, more and more people are interested in creating and investing businesses that benefit both shareholders and society. And so someone came up with this certification process. I'd like to think of it as a good housekeeping seal or the fair trade designation that you see on coffee sometimes. It's independent of a legal business structure, which means that anyone can apply for it, any business. The certificate is not government-sponsored. It's a private entity. And ironically, the eligibility requirements for one of those certificates is higher than for a benefit corporation in the states that have them. <laughs> Go figure. It requires a rigorous review of your business policies. Now, some businesses like those certifications and go the extra mile because it fits their mission and it's popular with certain types of investors. If that's you, explore those details with your accountant and lawyer. If that's not you, what other options are available? What we've seen so far is that we know that a proprietorship is fast and easy you can go it alone, minimal requirements, but a big personal liability exposure. The best tax breaks, they go to the nonprofits, but not every type of business qualifies or is interested. What else can you do if you want to be in business for yourself? There's several choices. There's two types of corporations we haven't talked about yet, the C-Corp and the S-Corp. They can each have a single shareholder, and if properly set up, capitalized, and maintained, they protect your personal assets from business debtors. The C-Corp, that's the crown jewel. So I like to think C for crown, okay? This is top of the line. Investors love it because there can be multiple classes of stock with different voting rights 
and ownership rights attached. You can get very sophisticated. And if you read magazines like Venture Beat or watch Shark Tank and hear about these early stage angel investors or venture capitalists, you might ask yourself, why can't that be my business? Well, maybe it can. Those folks will want to see a C corporation, but they'll also want to see some other things. A few months ago, I interviewed an angel investor on Business Confidential Now, and she explained what early stage investors look for in an episode called Seven Simple Things Angel Investors Want Entrepreneurs to Know. It's with Jan Davis. It's the episode that started season two, and I'll post a link to it here under the resource section of the episode page on businessconfidentialradio.com. Now, one of the things you'll hear Jan talk about in the interview is the type of businesses that angel investors are actually interested in investing in. It's not every kind. Your business idea may or may not fall into one of those categories. If you do an internet search on business structures, you're bound to find articles that are quick to tell you that the legal documents you need are a C-Corp, incorporated in Delaware, financing documents, and the list goes on. Those articles really irritate me. Not because they're wrong, but because they make certain assumptions and create this one-size-fits-all Rolls-Royce model for everyone, assuming that everybody wants or needs angel or VC money. And that's not true. Don't get me wrong. C-Corps are lovely. Some people like them simply because they get to use the term corp or inc behind their business name. They feel it gives their business more credibility. Nothing's wrong with feeling that or wanting that. But one of the trade-offs here is that C-Corps are the most complex to set up and maintain. And I'm not talking about keeping the grass cut here. There are a lot of corporate formalities to maintain. And if you play fast and loose with it, you risk having creditors attack the corporate veil. That's what lawyers call the liability shield that protects your personal assets. So if that gets attacked and they're successful, your personal assets are on the hook again. What all this means for you is that if a C-Corp sounds like a good possibility for you, talk over those maintenance requirements with your lawyer and make sure you put a system in place to keep your basis covered. Another drawback that's often talked about with C-Corporations is this thing called double taxation. What is that? Well, a C-Corporation, unlike other corporate forms, files its own tax return, and it's taxed at the entity level, while shareholders have dividends taxed at the personal level. That's where the double taxation comes in. Now, practically speaking, double taxation may not be that big a deal for a small business owner that has a C-Corp, because they typically pay themselves a salary and a bonus instead of dividends. But it could become an issue if your C-Corp has shareholders who are not employees, not active in the business. We see my other problem with these one-size-fits-all articles that you see online is the assumption and the myth that you need this Rolls-Royce from day one. That picking a structure is a forever decision, and if you don't pick the biggest, baddest, most flexible structure, you're stuck. Not true. You can change it. Of course, that's not something you want to do every week, every quarter, or every year. And some structures are easier to change over than others because of tax consequences, but it's not impossible. So you don't need to feel like picking the perfect structure is a life or death situation. Choose wisely, but know 
you also have the option to change as your circumstances change. Another option within the corporation family is the S corporation. Think of S for simpler. This might fit your needs. Even if you're a sole shareholder or have multiple shareholders because it also gives you a liability shield. You'll still get to use Inc. or Corp. at the end of your business name, but the VCs won't love you as much because S corporations only allow for one class of stock and they limit the number of shareholders to 100 and they gotta be U.S. citizens. There's no separate corporate tax, but you've got to meet the S corp qualifications and that's something to explore with your tax advisor. The maintenance requirements for an S-Corp are not as severe as with a C-Corp, and again, something to explore with your lawyer to make sure you're comfortable with those requirements. All right, we know proprietorships are fast and easy. If you want to go it alone, minimal requirements, big exposure. Best tax breaks go to nonprofits. Not everybody qualifies. And now we've seen the high-end corporate options, the S-Corp, the C-Corp. Any other choices? Oh yes. There's the limited liability company. That's the one that has LLC behind its name. It's a company, not technically a corporation. The LLC is like a light version of the S-Corp, that simple corp we just talked about. There are less formalities and maintenance requirement. It has members instead of stockholders. And tax-wise, it's treated as a pass-through entity but it could elect to be taxed as a C or an S corp if it qualifies. You see how the tax thing starts to get <laughs> like this Alice in Wonderland? And that's why you need to talk to your accountant to make sure that what you choose makes sense for you. Another quirky difference is that the LLC's distribution of profits is subject to employment tax, whereas an S corp dividends are not you got to bring in that tax advisor and lawyer to help you focus on whether the trade-off in simplicity is worth the tax savings. There's also a professional version of an LLC called a PLLC. You know, you see all these initials behind business names, and you've probably seen PLLC at the end of a name for like a medical practice, an engineering firm, a law office, or some other licensed professional. And that's because only licensed professionals are allowed to have them. If you fall into that category, your professional licensing organization may actually you prohibit from practicing in a C or an S corp. It's a limitation that they impose because this way they get more control over what you do. But it also gives you as the professional the same type of personal liability protection available to other business and that's why this PLLC was created. So even though it provides a liability shield, what it won't shield against is malpractice. Your professional obligations will still apply. So if you are a licensed professional and starting your own practice, your own business, you want to definitely ask your advisors about the PLLC but also the PC, which stands for Professional Corporation, not politically correct, and also the PLLP, or Professional Limited Liability Partnership. 
because as a licensed professional, you have three business structures that are available exclusively to you. I know, it gets a little confusing. But if you're not a licensed professional and that's not the business you're starting, don't worry about them. Cross them off the list. You don't qualify for it anyway. See what I mean about the process of elimination? You're starting to narrow this list down already. Don't worry about it. Okay, what's left? Now, you probably know by now whether a proprietorship's convenience is worth the trade-off of the liability exposure or if your business is about social benefit and a nonprofit or a benefit corporation, and maybe that B certificate is even worth looking at. And if the for-profit world is where you're most comfortable, we've seen the differences now between the C Corp, the S Corp, and the Limited Liability Corp. Are you starting to see how these group around what values you place the most priority on? Liability shield, tax consequences, simplicity of formation and maintenance, that's the best way to look at it because that supports your values. Are there any other options? You bet. Partnerships. Now we dipped our toe in the water a little bit with this professional limited liability partnership, those PLLPs that are only available to licensed professional. Are there other partnerships? Yep. There's the general partnership and the limited partnership. But if you want to run a business by yourself, forget partnerships because they require more than one person. So if you play well with others and you're willing to share management responsibility, a partnership has some real possibilities. If not, forget about it. All right, what is a partnership? A partnership is nothing more than an agreement between two or more people to engage in business. That agreement can be written or verbal. It can be actual or implied. And that's where startups sometimes get in trouble. What am I talking about? Well, a general partnership, by definition, means that any one partner could legally obligate the rest of you. And you could be jointly liable as well as individually liable for the whole mess if your partner bails out on you. So there's liability exposure. That means you need to pick good partners. It's possible. Okay? It's okay. But you got to do your homework because if you don't, you can easily get in trouble and pay the price and that can derail your business. The other thing that's special about general partnerships is that profits and losses are shared equally unless otherwise agreed to. And this is where a written agreement can be real helpful when memories start to fade or get embellished over time. When entrepreneurs start exploring business opportunities, the failure to clarify the relationship between themselves and the people helping them can sometimes create unintended partnerships where people later come and want their share of the profits. Here's an example. It's a story that involved two brothers. They were college students at the time. They had a business partner and they had this idea for a website, but they needed a good programmer to make it happen. So they talked to one of their friends, another student that they knew, who verbally agreed to help them build the site. But wouldn't you know it, that programmer then turned around and launched their own website that was amazingly similar to the brother's idea. Now the brothers took legal action. Yeah, you knew that was coming. First with a cease and desist letter and then a lawsuit. But because the agreement was verbal, determining A, whether there was an agreement, and B, if there was one, what it said was tough, was time-consuming, was an expensive process, and it dragged on 
for years. Finally, after wrestling in court for more than seven years, the brothers settled the case for $65 million. Now, if that sounds vaguely familiar, it's because there was a movie about it called The Social Network. And yes, the startup was Facebook, the programmer, Mark Zuckerberg. When people contribute ideas and resources to your startup, they could wind up with partnership rights in your company if you don't establish healthy boundaries with contracts. A consulting agreement or services agreement would have been one way for the brothers to establish a vendor relationship. A limited partnership would have been another way. Now, one big drawback to partnership agreements is that there's no personal liability shield to protect your assets from third parties. In a limited partnership agreement, you can limit your exposure from other partners, but not third parties. So what kind of business would use a partnership? Well, it's used for relatively short-term projects where it doesn't make financial sense to gear up a corporation or a company that has a perpetual existence and then needs to be decommissioned. A partnership is created by contract, so it could expire under its own terms. Whatever that term is, three years, five years, whatever you agree to. It's used in the construction industry, for example, by developers. A combination of general and limited liability partnerships is also used in business situations where you can tightly control your third-party liability exposure by contract. And a good example of that would be hedge funds. Each fund you invest in, assuming you had that kind of money, is a general partner and you, as the investor, have purchased a piece of a limited partnership. Now those types of contracts, those partnership agreements are very, very sophisticated and have gigantic liability disclaimers that leave you, the investor, pretty unprotected while at the same time creating a protective moat around the fund and filling it with alligators. Is it unreasonable? Well, that depends who you ask. But the funds will say it's the price of admission into the club. It's their business and in their industry that works. And that's why I said at the beginning, and I'll repeat again now, it's wise to narrow down your choices for a business structure and then consult with your attorney and tax advisor and get their advice about whether the nuances of your industry, your business idea, your state requirements for creating a particular business entity or the tax consequences of how you expect your business to be gearing up makes one business structure a better fit than another for achieving your business dreams. One final thought I'd like to leave you with before we close. Some people think that they can save money on startup costs by finding forms online, whether it's a partnership agreement, incorporation documents, financing documents, you name it. Are there forms online? Sure. Will bringing them to your lawyer for review save you money? Not necessarily. Why? Well, because lawyers that advise startups have their own forms, forms they know like the back of their hand. Give them your form, and now they have to read it. Figure out what's missing, delete or revise language that doesn't work for your state, and all the time, tick-tock, the meter's running. As I hope you've seen through this discussion, your lawyer's real value is their advice in how to match your business idea to a business structure for a successful marriage. It's not the paperwork alone. It's the thought and advice that goes into identifying 
the right paperwork. If you're interested in some tips on how to manage startup legal costs, you're welcome to take a deeper dive with me in a webinar I do called Shrewd Ways to Prioritize Startup Legal Costs. Because even though the should I incorporate question is one of the most common startup legal questions, it's really not the first place liability can rear its head in the startup process. If you'd like to learn more about the webinar, Shrewd Ways to Prioritize Startup Legal Costs, there's a link to it with more information on the episode page at businessconfidentialradio.com. And that will take you to information about the next available date because it's a webinar that's available periodically. I hope you found this bird's eye view of U.S. legal structures useful in helping you narrow down choices and have productive conversations with your lawyer and tax advisor. If you don't have a lawyer and you're interviewing business lawyers, you might also be interested in looking at one of the earlier broadcasts done this season called The Truth About How to Choose the Ideal Business Lawyer. It's episode 26 in season two, and it has a free download. It's my white paper called 16 No-Nonsense Questions to Ask Before Hiring a Business Lawyer. Anyhow, lots of goodies on the resource portion of our episode page. Thanks so much for listening, and all the best with your new business venture giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Keltner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.